Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your genes. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, Tim Parsons concludes his argument that now is the time for Australian space industry to take off. But first up, here's the news. Internet of Hacked Things Manufacturers are adding network connectivity to more and more devices, but not always with an understanding of the need for protection against the dangers online. Miller dishwashers, cloud pet teddy bears and Samsung TVs have been hacked. The German manufacturer Miller released their professional PG8528 dishwasher, an industrial washer disinfector used in facilities like restaurants and hospitals, complete with a built-in wired internet connection and web server. The washer disinfector has sensors to test the water and determine if the load has been cleaned and become germ-free, and generates reports. Like many manufacturers, Miele would also be collecting analytical information on how the washer is used, what you had for breakfast, and how it performs all the better to be able to build better products in the future. The Miele website also talks about device interconnectivity, but it isn't really clear what other device you would need or even want your washer disinfector to be connected to. Surely it just needs water, detergent, disinfectant and power, after being loaded with dirty things to be cleaned. The dishwasher's built-in web server has been hacked with an old exploit called a directory transversal attack that allows a hacker to run commands. With control of the web server, the hacker can launch into other computers on the local area network to read any file and create a botnet to launch attacks on the internet from the hospital or restaurant. Not only are there privacy problems for a hospital, but imagine the opportunities for a hacker if the restaurant or hospital also offer Wi-Fi to the public. Miele has not released a fix for the bug. The hack was discovered by Jens Regel a German researcher who specialises in security. It's getting cheaper and cheaper to make a dumb device smarter by adding internet connections. If you have a Miele connected appliance, unplug the ethernet cable and be wary of washers with Wi-Fi. Teddy bears have been hacked. Saying goodbye can be hard. The ones you love seem so far. Now, staying in touch is easy and fun with Cloud Pets. Just record a message. Hope you had a good day at school. I miss you. And send to the cloud. In just seconds, it floats down to the app on your smart device, allowing you to send the message to the Cloud Pet. Hope you had a good day at school. I miss you. It's a message you can hug. Now, squeeze puppy's paw to send one back. Cloud Pets makes you feel like the ones oh, you love are always near. Mama. 
see you real soon. The Cloud Pets app uses Bluetooth technology to send your messages. Hi, this is Grandma. See you real soon. Hi, Grandma. Hi, Grandma. Whether you're all the way on the other side of the world. I'll be home soon. I miss you guys. I'll be home soon. Or very close by. Good morning, sunshine. Make sure you eat your breakfast. Good morning, sunshine. Make sure you eat your breakfast. Cloud Pets make sure the voices you love find a way. Good morning, Mommy. Cloud Pets will Happy deliver birthday. your message with love for birthdays. Happy birthday. The holidays. Almost there, buddy. Or any special day you, when you're away. I love you, sweetheart. With Cloud Pets, you can play and cuddle all day and hug and hold tight all night. Now you can stay in touch with the ones you love with Cloud Pets for $39.99 plus $6.99 processing and handling. You can choose from Puppy, Kitty, Teddy, or our limited edition Bunny. Each CloudPet connects to the special free app that will download to almost any smart device, letting you interact and play with your CloudPet. You can call or log on at cloudpets.com. Each sold separately. Smart devices not included. Must be 18 or older to order. CloudPets. <laughs> Cloud Pets offer soft, cuddly teddy bears and dogs that are connected to the internet. Parents away from home can use an app to record a voice message which is transferred to the Cloud Pet over the internet for the soft toy to speak the words to the child. The child can record a reply on the toy which will be sent back to the parent's app. The 820,000 accounts have weak password encryption. But the database with all of this information and the URLs of unprotected voice and photo files wasn't protected in any way and was available on their website. Hackers could get in and listen to over 2 million recordings of the messages between parent and child or even listen through the toy's microphone and send their own voice to the children. The database with email addresses, profile photos, children's birthdays and other private information was up for grabs. 150 terabytes was available. Even worse, the website was indexed by the Shodan search engine for unprotected internet devices so that many people around the world could easily access the toys and the database. The company has been contacted by journalists but haven't fixed the security problem. After they were contacted, hackers deleted the databases at CloudPets and two different hackers demanded ransom for their return. CloudPets knew their system was compromised and that kids' conversations had been overheard, but they never informed their customers. Of course, that's just the back end of the CloudPets service on their web server. It turns out that the CloudPets toys also have an unsecured Bluetooth system that allows hackers nearby to take over the toy and listen and talk with the children without connecting over the internet, just by standing outside your front fence or anywhere within 10 metres. If you have a cloud pet, switch it off. First I connect to the toy. Then I can make the toy start to record my voice. And then I can fetch the recording. And then play it back. Then I can make the toy start to record my voice. Samsung TVs can be hacked. 
Last year, I reported how new Samsung TVs have microphones for voice recognition and cameras for face and gesture recognition, and how they report the vision, sound, and which programs you watch back to Samsung HQ to provide these services. WikiLeaks released documents that show that the CIA can take over your TV to spy on you over the internet by putting a memory stick into the TV's USB port to load malware. The CIA called the exploit Weeping Angel. People were told not to worry too much because the CIA could only do this if they'd broken into your house to physically access your TV's USB ports. The CIA USB hack turns off the screen and the front power LED to make the TV appear switched off when it's really spying on you. But if you look around the back of the TV, there will still be a blue LED that should be off when the TV is off, but that is still shining if your TV has been hacked. Now security researcher Raphael Scheel has demonstrated that a TV broadcast signal can be used to insert bad software onto all the TVs within the reception area, say an entire block of apartments, to allow hackers to spy through the cameras and microphones over the TV's internet connection. The hack survives restarting the TV and even a factory reset. You can buy a digital TV transmitter for around $150 online. Imagine if the hack was piggybacked onto a commercial TV broadcast station's signal. They could infect millions of TVs at once. In France back in 2015, 11 TV channels were blacked out by hackers. In theory, the same Samsung TV attack should work over cable and satellite connected TVs as well. The researchers are concerned that most people who watch TV are not used to security messages from their TV. Make sure your TV's firmware is always updated. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. And now space industry mentor Tim Parsons returns to conclude his Orbit Oz talk. New Space 2017. Is Australia poised for rapid growth? Okay, let's talk about the scale of the world. There's huge markets for space on our doorstep. Some numbers, basically ASEAN alone is 30 times the size of Australia in population, 30X. But it's only 1.5X in GDP. So we have a GDP about 2 trillion, ASEAN 2.5, 3 trillion. I did this slide about six months ago, it's probably 3 trillion now. And so if you say 30X, and they all have supercomputers in their pockets too. And guess what? They have faster internet than us in most of those big urban <laughs> cities. There's actually over 250 major cities in this region with more than 2 million people in them. It's extraordinary. And in the last 10 years, about half the population moved into town from the countryside. So what we might have in our head about you know, people up there in the stage of economic and social development they're at is not 
true. They are much more like us than we realize. And in fact, anybody under 20 is across what's in YouTube. They definitely know who Casey Neustadt is. They're in Snapchat. They're also in WeChat. They're doing all the things that our kids do. I have the privilege of working with a big startup up in ASEAN that's founded in KL. We've hired 700 people across MENA and Southeast Asia. And some of the things that unify them is doing hip hop, uh, is each of the officers doing like a hip hop video and uploading it to us all. And this includes people in Jordan, Nigeria, Indonesia, Singapore, KL. They're all unified by that international culture. So, so we have this huge market and it's growing really fast. So we have, however, amazing talent. So can you see the tension here? Incredible talent, huge market. We've got to break that disconnect. The, the world in 2010, you can start to see Western Europe and the US, the traditional middle class, and okay, Australia, fine. But what about these places, the Philippines, ASEAN, India, and increasingly in Africa, and increasingly in South America? Let's jump forward. So here's the world's middle class today. These are millions. So 181 million people in South America, 322 million North America, you get the picture? So this is the middle class, people that we, we can probably consider are like us. And this is where we're gonna be by 2030. So the middle class world is gonna be 75% the new world, yeah. The purchasing power parity of these folks means they can get the same things that we can get. And also it means that in some cases, they're not going to slow down because of scale, because they're not going to do the things that we do. Like, for example, many of these countries are not going to bother building out a grid. They're going to have microgrids. They're going to move straight to solar PV and battery-based microgrids. Just as they never built out big terrestrial telephone networks, they move straight to 3G and now 4G. And so I think, I think the growth rates around the world push hard because just the sheer amount of people and the capacity that's there and, and people's desire to improve their lives. And of course, you're, yes, you're gonna see massive automation. The, the debate is how quickly that's gonna impact things and how quickly that's, but in certainly in terms of their need for safety, security, for our need to feed them, clothe them, all those different parts of society, make sure their cities are smarter, more sustainable. You know, if you're gonna have self-driving cars and you're gonna get rid of, you're gonna turn all the parking lots into gardens, you're gonna need a lot of data to do that efficiently, right? So essentially we're seeing, I see, I see a huge opportunity there. But this, the scale of the world is enormous. Also there's 80 countries active in space today, 80 countries that are spending a bit of money in space. And so a lot of people are seeing that space is part of their critical infrastructure. Yes, a lot of these are sort of glamour, we can do a space. And a lot of them were inspired for political reasons. And therefore there is an opportunity for us to actually jump to the front of this pack with the latest technology, you know, last mover advantage. What's the biggest search engine? Google was like the last of their cohort, you know. So I think, I think Australia has the ability to, to jump uh, into, into this incredible supply chain and service a lot of these other folks and their needs, right? Because they're seeing that there are needs. And we also have the ability to take a, a decent market share because we're smart. Again, remember the frame, this is proof of scale. This is the proof of scale bit, right? I'm showing that it's a big world out there. The other thing is, is that the space industry, a lot of people have sort of woken up to the fact that it's growing really fast, really fast, right? Faster than the internet, practically. And the predictions are that around by 2030, the UK prediction is by 2030, it'll be worth a trillion dollars. And they have a goal that the UK has a 10% global share of that 
hundred million dollars per year. And now Australia, we have a share of the global GDP of about uh, 1.5, I think it's maybe just under 2% of the global GDP. But currently we're only using about 0.8, we only comprise about 0.8% of the global space economy and it's all domestic and it's all us buying services from other people, right? We're importing. So we should at the very least be aiming to have a 2% share of this and in fact, a group of us in the Space Industry Association of Australia, we want to push for 4%. We think Australia should have a 4% share, which means we should be kicking a $4 billion a year industry. And we think we can do that, right? Because of the scale of these countries. And we think we could do it by 2030. Also, we're seeing an explosion of services. So like domestic consumption of geospatial information. Geospatial information has traditionally been subsidized by like US military, GPS satellites are all US military and they open source them, right? But increasingly there's people starting to come in with higher fidelity augmented positioning services. So what's, an, what's a use case? Okay, so use case is a robot and the robot is putting, is putting fertilizer on a field, right, in Australia. And it's gonna go along and put this fertilizer on the field and six months later it's gonna come back and it needs to know that it put that fertilizer on that spot so that it doesn't over fertilize. That's the idea, that's the whole point, you're getting a robot to do the fertilizer so you don't have to buy as much, so it's more efficient and it's better on the environment. You, but as a farmer, you, you're gonna spend less money. But guess what, Australia moves six centimeters a year north, thanks to continental drift. So you need high precision augmented GPS to correct for that six centimeters a year shift. See how complex the issue is. And so that's another thing that people are starting to just experiment with. They're starting to mess around with, but I expect that to become scale industry. Right now, John Deere, who's one of the world's largest manufacturers of tractors, you can take drone data, download it to your PC, upload it into the tractor, and then the tractor will do a particular pattern on the field. You can do that now. And the software is powered by John Deere. Right, so that is in the agricultural sector. That stuff's all coming. The, the guys in agriculture experience a reign of new vendors, new solutions, all sorts of people realizing how much efficiency they can push into that. So that's all gonna be part of the space economy uh, that we want you guys to be part of. So, okay, so I've gone through the lean cycle. So I think I've got proof of problem. I think I've got proof of market and I think there's scale. And I think that the key really that we wanna tell startups is, is do stuff, try stuff, get out of bed, get out of the building, go and talk to customers, try to understand things, and really see if you can make it work. And not enough, not enough of us have been doing that. We've been saying, government, give us some money so we can buy some toys. We've been saying, defense guys, surely you need this stuff, give us some money so we can buy some toys. We've been saying, let's do a whole bunch of research and get a whole bunch of PhDs, and that's a good thing. I actually think that we as a space industry should follow the example of the research astronomy industry, who make all their own gear, right? When they want to collect data, they go and make the gear, and then they go and do experiments with it. Now, it's not commercial, but that's a, an amazing community that Australia has, and we're not tapping into those guys at all, and they're so respected around the world. So some of the things that we have achieved as a community since January 1, 2016, we've identified about 30 teams. I found in a couple more today would you believe? So we've identified about 30 teams 
that are working in as startups or declared sort of startups. Some of them may be borderline zombies. Some of them, they're waiting for the right time. But there do seem to be about 30 teams. They've also, five of them have raised about 10 million bucks. I don't know how much money you guys have raised, so I haven't included you in that number. But about five of them having, have raised about 10 million bucks from Australian investors and not high net worth individuals as much as actual early stage VC companies. Smart money, in other words. We've also had about 10 payloads, including the three spacecraft that are about to be launched, each of which has about three or four payloads in it. The QB50 spacecraft have about four boards each, uh, four experiments each, so I'll, I'll just round it down. So we've got about 10, as of about two weeks from now, we would have had 10 Australian payloads developed either by universities or by private companies in space since 2016. And as I mentioned before, Seb and his company managed to get the first ever Australian payload of any kind to the ISS, which is a massive achievement that we should all celebrate. So these are some of the early signs that actually the timing is right to start now. The timing is right to start getting educated. It's not right to sell your house and, you know, it's not right. None of us can yet, it seems, apart from a few, earn an income from space yet. But it seems like there's a shift in the, in the tide. And I think the other thing is, is that we're about to see a space agency being announced. This is going to happen. It's now just a matter of when over the next few months, if it happens before the big conference in Adelaide that's happening in uh, September, the International Astronomical Congress, the largest conference ever held in Adelaide, in fact, whether it happens at that conference or whether it happens in Canberra, it's going to happen. And with... with, with um, we're also not going to have a NASA-style space agency. We're going to have an industrial policy-style space agency, one that brings together research, government, and innovation and private companies to try and grow the industry, not just do glamour space, not just be involved in some amazing science, deep space projects, but also to try and build up local capability and, and give you guys opportunities. If I have anything to do with it, it's going to be like that. We're going to be running hackathons. We're going to be incubating people. We're going to be unlocking infrastructure. We want to do that stuff in Woomera. We want to do that stuff on air bases. We want to do that stuff in Tidbinbilla. We want to get in there and hack and hustle with all the infrastructure that is in this country that we cannot get access to right now. So the time to start is now. And so I, I believe, in conclusion, Mr. Speaker, that I've refuted the question mark in, this in the title of this talk. I, th I think that we are set for terrific growth. We're an amazing part of the world. We have amazing reputation around the world. It's been great to work with, fun to work with. We have deep social networks in places like India, China, Southeast Asia, Middle East and North Africa. They dig Aussies. We're just not there. And we're not raising money there, we're not delivering services there, we're not trying stuff. And we can. That was Tim Parsons concluding his talk on why the Australian space industry is about to take off. Just look at those stars. You almost feel as if you could touch them. Do you suppose we ever will? Will what? Oh, reach the planet, the moon, space travel. Ooh, no doubt about it. Oh, maybe it'd be a long time before we reach the planets. They're pretty far away. But a space station first, and from there, on out to the moon. That's on the way, and, and maybe quicker than we think. Well, I know one thing. If they do build a space station in my lifetime, or send a ship to the moon, I'm going to be ready to go. I'm going to have my name on the waiting list. Are you? 
Sure. No, no. I mean, are, are you going to be ready? I don't see why not. It's going to take someone with a spirit of adventure. I still say, are you going to be ready? I don't know what you're getting at. The facts. The fact is, adventure will be just one little part of it. Right now, you and Betty will have to get ready for the other things it'll take. Like what? Like what you know, what you understand. What courses are you taking next year? Oh, my schedule's already made out. Well, I had my choice of taking general science this year or next, but I put it off a year. Then you put your trip off a year. How come? <laughs> What's the matter with you, Betty? I was just trying to imagine the look on Mr. Bristow's face if he thought somebody had enrolled in general science just to get ready to go to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> we are getting a little off the beam, aren't we? But only because we were talking about the moon. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to hear your voice on radio? Go to the website and click on the tab on the right to send a voicemail to be played on air. We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send me an email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. Support the show at patreon.com slash Diffusion Radio. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Checking production and fact-checking was Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 27 stations on the community radio network, including 2RBM in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales, 8CCC in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2MVR in Nambucca Valley, and 3MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation Science 360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, photos and videos from this week's show. If you enjoyed this show, then you can explore more than 900 previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Subscribe to the Diffusion YouTube channel at youtube.com slash C slash Diffusion Radio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. <laughs>